The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 90 of the Book of Mormon podcast. We're here. It's pretty exciting, episode 90. We made it. We made it to 90. If we can make it to 90, we can make it to anything. Yeah, for sure. Well, it also helps that we read from the scriptures already, right? It's not like we had to start a habit. Mm. We're, we're really taking advantage of a habit that we already had. And now we just, we prepare to have a, 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 conversation. a conversation about it. True that. Anyway, <laughs> so today we are in chapter 28 in the book of Mosiah. And a lot of, thing, a lot of things have happened um, in this land of Zarahemla with regard to the church, with regard to the people. Like, all these new people, um, you know, some of their ancestors came from Zarahemla. They went down into the land of Nephi. Now they are, like, second-generation immigrants returning to their mother country. Talk about, like, complicated, right? <laughs> and, and, and it's by the grace of God that they have a prophet and a a noble king in King Mosiah yeah. to help usher in a new era, a new, um, as he later calls it, you know, new affairs of the, of the land. Because there's so many people than they've ever had before. Right. So, and, and they, that's going to come into play in chapter 29 a lot. Yeah. So... But, but before we get there, yeah, we they, had, they we had just last week as a recap, we had that wonderful experience of Alma's conversion and the sons of Mosiah. So this next chapter twenty eight is all about, well, not all about, but is about the sons of Mosiah in the beginning, and we, that's where we pick up is what do they desire now that they've had this wonderful conversion to the Lord and repentance process. And so they desire to go help others, right? In the land of Nephi. That's what we read in verse 1. Um, that they'll go and preach the things that they had heard, that they might impart the word of God to their brethren, the Lamanites. So that's their desires. Do you have anything to add from verse 1? But really... No. The, you know, it follows through in verse 2 that perhaps they might bring them to the knowledge of the Lord their God and convince them of the iniquity of their fathers. And so you, you had some thoughts about this idea of like convincing and mm -hmm. limiting the contention that can arise from, you know, a, obviously a well-meaning sons of Mosiah. Mm -hmm. They want to go down. They want to impart what they've learned to be true, you know, through kind of a, a hard experience, right? 
right. they themselves were iniquitous. They came to see the light. Now they want to go and help others who may be doing iniquity. Um, I would say just as much as they are. Right. Or were. Yeah. But I would say my reason for the the thoughts that I had about verse 2 and contention was because I had listened to, we talked about it a couple weeks back or even last week about uh, Sister Wendy Nelson um, talked about contention, but she referenced contention in the context of emotional violence. And what she said emotional violence was, was holding an idea to be true such that the other person's idea or group of people um, must change because theirs is wrong. So I thought, well, are the sons of Mosiah like going to <laughs> commit emotional violence here? I think in emotional violence, uh, it's a very eloquent way of saying what I... Like manipulation kind of? I was just going to say Bible bash. Oh. Right? Because especially in the context of missionary work, right? you know, these missionaries in the sons of Mosiah going down there um, with the word of God, you know, they could easily get caught up in Bible bashing. And that isn't that, that's what it is. It's contention. Right. It's, you know, I have an opinion. You should have the same opinion because. And you need to change type right. of thing. So I didn't want, um, I didn't like the idea that that's what the sons of Mosiah were doing, you know? It like kind of freaked me out a little bit because I'm like, are they committing emotional violence here? So I went and I re-listened to Sister Wendy Nelson's whole thing about this. And I realized that she talks about the opposite of contention is love. And love is the opening space for existence of another in your mind and in your heart. And that's exactly the intention that the sons of Mosiah had that we read about in verse 3. It says, Now they were desirous that salvation should be declared to every creature, for they could not bear that any human soul should perish. Yea, even the very thought that any soul should endure endless torment did cause them to quake and tremble. So then I realized that your intention has a lot to, to do with if this whole emotional violence thing. Because they... Dr. Wendy, Sister Wendy Nelson, she's also a doctor, went on to say that you can share ideas of the gospel and be civil and not demeaning. You can remain respectful, curious, and kind. And I think that's exactly what the sons of Mosiah did. They had good intentions. They weren't going there to so-called Bible bash, you know, and be like, you're wrong, I'm right, change. They were very much in a loving manner of we just we can't bear the thought that you continue in the ways that you are. So And I, I have to much it. I have to go back into verse two. You know, it says that their intention, or at least the intention that they give their father because mm-hmm. they're asking for permission to go on this missionary trip. Right. Right. So he says or they say that that perhaps they might cure them, the Lamanites, of their hatred toward the Nephites, that they might also be brought to rejoice in the Lord their God, that they might become friendly to one another, and that there should be no more contention in all the land which the Lord their God had given them. So there's a couple points there. You know, they they 
understand that this land that they're living in, it was given to them by God. Yeah. Um, you know, attributing it to God, giving all credit to him in bringing them there to begin with. Um, and when it, it talks about, you know, curing them of their hatred, that's something that we've talked a lot about in the past with the Lamanites and this eternal hatred. You know, yeah. how, how do you expect or what would you expect the sons of Mosiah to be doing when they go down there? How are they going to cure the Lamanites of their hatred? Well, and I think this goes back to the very last verse in 27, or the second to last verse. It says, And thus they were instruments in the hands of God in bringing many to the knowledge of the truth, yea, to the knowledge of their Redeemer. And I said this last week that the only way I think they could reach these people was because they themselves had been doing what they're doing. And they could come back and say, I was wrong and share why. And they're going to be much more willing to listen because this isn't someone coming in who's never done anything of what they've done. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. They can relate through their experiences and vulnerability and, and these things that like, hey, look. And we know that that's spoiler alert, that the Lord does say, because Mosiah inquires of the Lord if they should go, and the Lord actually gives it away. He says in verse 7, I'm going to jump just a second. We can go back, though. And the Lord said unto Messiah, Let them go up, for many shall believe on their words, and they shall have eternal life. And I will deliver thy sons out of the hands of the Lamanites. So we know that they're going to be successful. And I, I personally think it's because of their experiences. They have a way to relate to these people. Yeah, and what's really cool it says, you know, not only does the Lord give unto Mosiah the result of their efforts, many shall believe on their words, he also says, hey, they're going to live up to their covenants. They'll have mm-hmm. eternal life. And don't worry, I will protect them when they're in the Lamanite lands. Yeah. So, th- I mean, that's like a all-encompassing assurance from the Lord to King Mosiah. And so he grants that they, they do according to the request. They take all their, uh, well, I was going to say they take their belongings. Rather, in verse 9, they took their journey into the wilderness. And then the account of that missionary work comes hereafter in the book of Alma. So, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of teased it there like, oh, what, what are they going to do to cure the Lamanites of their hatred toward the Nephites. Well, we're going to actually get to see exactly what they do. They, among other things, they serve them and they teach them. Mm-hmm. And what's cool is I wrote on the side of my margins, I wrote pause <laughs> because we're pausing and right. we're coming back. And then also I wrote later on, there's another pause too that happens that we learn. We're going to learn more about ether and the Jaredites and that kind of stuff later. Which That's is, a really good point. Which is cool because Mormon, who's abridging this and writing this, knows he even says, like, it is expedient that it should be written and the people know these things in verse 19. So it's just cool to see his perspective in writing of, like, don't worry, I'm going to get there. But here's the thing. If I weren't reading, <laughs> if we have not been studying the scriptures the way that we are, like, week by week, chapter by chapter, um, I don't think I would have picked up on these little pauses that Mormon's putting in here. Right. Because sometimes you read it quicker, 
slower, but we're going real slow. <laughs> so it's cool that it, I'm noticing these things of, of Mormon abridging the plates. Yeah. So anyway, I jumped ahead. I was just really excited about that. <laughs> and and I don't know if it's always like I'm not one to uh, criticize Mormon for the job he did because it was inspired of the Lord. But I think sometimes we wonder well, why why did he do it like that? You know, when we really get into the nitty gritty and, and we see these breaks, like, well, why did he do it like that? And, you know, the, the way that the Book of Mormon is compiled is a teaching method. Like, hey, you, you need to know this stuff before we get into this stuff, right? If you just go jumping around, um, you'll miss these things that, hey, the Lord says this needs to go before that in the record, in the right. understanding. Um, and we saw that all throughout this book, this book of Mosiah, right? Like a lot of jumping around back and forth between different groups of people. But we've definitely seen a, a purpose for that to compare, contrast, and uh, gain more insight. So yeah. uh, without further ado, um, Mosiah, he sends off his sons and... <clears throat> He turns his attention back to the records, um, which he... All the records he's got. <laughs> yeah, pretty much all the records, right? Yeah. He, because he, just like King Benjamin, uh, his dad, and then his granddad, who was Mosiah one, <laughs> they just love the scriptures. They love these records. They, they're part of a lineage of people who loved the scriptures. And he goes ahead and turns his attention to the plates uh, of gold, which were found by the people of Limhi, that we know, like Shelby was saying, the the people, the, the Jaredites, their yeah. record, which is later on in the Book of Mormon, in the mm -hmm. Book of Ether. And it says in verse 12, he's, he was, des um, well... He, well, oh, his people... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's a good point. Like, this, this is a national... Uh, desire like a national but it makes sense because what were they What go back to the very beginning of the Book of Mormon what did they leave to go back they left and they went back to get what records Yes. Right. so their whole lineage and, and founding and, and journeys and everything were focused around getting records and these yeah this is and these are the descendants of that Right. So it makes sense that the people inherited that um, culture, I would say. The culture of records and coming to know people through records and stories meant a lot. Well, and uh, Native Americans and Indians, they are very much into culture and stories and things like that. You know, it still is in their culture. And it suggested that these people are, were you know, Native Americans or Indians and things like that. Right, the the chief ancestors, yeah, I think. Yeah, of the Book of Mormon. But anyway, I just went off. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not nearly um, well-versed enough on all of that to, to say one way or the other. Um, what I do know is that the spirit of Elijah is 100% real. And although... It's ramped up in the common people 
uh, of our day, you know, with all these genealogical services and things like that. But the spirit of Elijah was at work even back in at this time. And that causes them to be desirous beyond measure to know concerning those people who had been destroyed. Um, King Mosiah, he's a seer. He uses the seer stones to translate the records. And jumping down, it, it talks about that he, after he finished translating these records in verse 17, um, behold, it gave an account of the people who were destroyed from the time that they were destroyed back to the building of the great tower at the time the Lord confounded the language of the people and they were scattered abroad upon the face of all the earth. Yea, and even from that time back until the creation of Adam. So it's it's a Genesis account as we know it and it goes and follows one of those scattered people at the Tower of Babel all the way to their destruction in the land roundabout Zarahemla. Which we'll come to know that story. Correct. And one thing I do want to point out in connection to the restoration of the gospel uh, today is that those seer stones that Mosiah used uh, were passed down for the purposes of interpreting languages, and those seer stones were given to Joseph Smith to be able to translate the Book of Mormon. So I think that's just something worth connecting. Um, I don't know. I just want to point it out. Yeah, so. it's a it's a fun fact, for sure. So, like Kevin said, that was all translated, and we will have that record, and we'll learn about it, but pause, we'll come back to it, or we will get to that in the future. <laughs> what I want to talk about is in verse 18. This account did cause the people of Mosiah to mourn exceedingly. Hmm. Yea, they were filled with sorrow. Nevertheless, it gave them much knowledge in the which they did rejoice. So that's really interesting. Hmm. And, you know, there are things that in our history, they're hard to learn about. They're hard to know uh, more about, right? But but it gives us knowledge, it gives us perspective, and it helps us do better, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and we could take that into the history of the church. We could also take it into the history of yeah. our nation. Yeah. That's and then going all the way back, you know, into the, you know, more ancient history. So, and that's why, I mean, we rejoice in the scriptures because... It teaches us things as well, like so much. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I feel like Kevin and I, our studies in everything that we've had lately, in like the Book of Mormon, Come Follow Me, our even down to our sacrament meeting talks, (laughs) (laughs) have just lined up for what we're talking about in Mosiah 28, but mainly in Mosiah 29, which we hope to get to today. Um, Before we get to chapter 29... Just to to finish it off in uh, verse 20, the last verse of 28, Mm. this, I don't know if I mentioned earlier, but Alma, the younger, Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't go with the sons of Mosiah to do this missionary work. 
he remains in the land of Zarahemla, and he has conferred upon him these, by Mosiah. By Mosiah, the the brass plates, um, all these things that we're talking about, the interpreters, and basically, just as they've been handed down from generation to generation, sometimes from father to son, and sometimes from uh, righteous men to other righteous men. It's exactly what happens here. Because Mosiah, he knows, like, things are winding down for me. You know, I'm getting old. I need to I need to square away some of my my responsibilities. You mm-hmm. know, pass them along. So Yeah. I could I had thoughts about that, but it's not expedient for the podcast. I don't think it is. Is it expedient for our posterity? Maybe it's expedient for future Shelby listening, but like uh, Bishop Coquinas gave a talk today, and one of the first things he said in his talk was, you know, I changed my mind at who I want to sing at my funeral. And he's his mind is already on those things hmm. because he is approaching old age. And President Nelson, um, I've heard stories and I've heard things of him saying, you know, oh, I'll say hi to your mom when I see her. And they're like, President Nelson, my mom is you know, passed away. And he's like, I know, you know, he's, he knows he's going to be in the spirit world soon, you know? And so it's just interesting. I don't think Kevin and I's thoughts are there because we're just starting a family. Right. Like we're at the beginning of our lives together. But I guarantee when we get down to like that age, you know, Mosiah here, and we, we actually know the ages where they pass away. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're like 70 and 60. Something around there. Um, I'm guessing. Don't quote me. But that, I don't know, it's just interesting that if, I think when you're a righteous commandment keeping Latter-day Saint, you're doing all these good things, your thoughts will turn to your next phase of life right. and preparation for that, just like Mosiah's is right now. Well, and, and now we're going to transition into chapter 29, and I want to say... He's not just thinking about himself and no. his, his own personal affairs. He's thinking about his country, his nation, right? Yeah. His, his people. Because, you know, he's not, you know, when Kevin is going to pass away, he's going to be trying to uh, finish some things as it pertains to his family, maybe some very close family friends. He's not going to have a whole nation to, you know, set up for the next era, you know. Right. But Mosiah, he's the king, and that's what he's got to do. So he, and and I think it's expedient that he did all this translating and that he, for his whole life, he searched the scriptures and he's gained knowledge because it prepares him for the decisions that he has to make now because diving straight in when Mosiah had done this he sent out throughout all the land among all the people desiring to know who um, or to know their will concerning who should be their king so he's again he's thinking about the next king Mm -hmm. and um, it does say it reminds us now Aaron who's his son, had gone up to the land of Nephi. Therefore, the king could not confer the kingdom upon him. 
So that maybe infers that Aaron was the eldest. Okay. Mm. Neither would Aaron take upon him the kingdom. So even if Aaron was there, he didn't want it. <laughs> Neither were any of the sons of Mosiah willing to take upon them the kingdom. So none of the, the king's sons, all the princes, have decided they don't want it. Hmm. Therefore, King Mosiah sent again among the people, yea, even a written... Um, oh, I totally skipped verse 2. <laughs> uh, okay. That's why we brought up... That's why in verse 3 it talks about Aaron. Yeah. They, because, the people voiced they wanted Aaron. That's pretty much all you skipped. Right. But I think they knew that, hopefully. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I totally skipped verse two. So thank you. And therefore, after saying, okay, well, you want Aaron, but you can't have Aaron, and you actually can't have any of my kids because they're not here, they don't want it. He sent again, even a written word sent he among the people. And these are the words that were written saying, Behold, O ye my people, or my brethren, for I esteem you as such. I desire that you should consider the cause which you are called to consider, for you are desirous to have a king. I, I kind of like that way he said that. I desire that you should consider the cause which you are called to consider, right? And we've been, I've mentioned it a couple times, you mentioned it as well, Shell, mm-hmm. that throughout the recent <clears throat> months, I've been noticing it's not I've I voiced it but I noticed it a long time ago this word cause Mm. like in the scriptures God causes something or someone to do something or even mortal men can cause one another to do things yeah and so when he says the cause which you're called to consider he's like think about what you're asking or trying to get me to do to confer a uh, the kingdom onto another man. Mm-hmm. I just want to point out something that I learned that I asked Kevin before this podcast because I, I I kind of felt like Mosiah I didn't understand why Mosiah did it, but now I do, so I can share it. I didn't understand why Mosiah would ask what the people wanted in the first place, why they wanted a king. Who do you want as your king? When he was going to turn around and say, exactly what Kevin's saying, cause you to consider the cause that you're, what's the word you say it with such more eloquently? The cause that you are called to consider for your desires to have a king. So I thought to myself, Mosiah, man, why'd you even ask the people then? You know, and I brought this up to Kevin and I realized Mosiah probably knew that. Okay. How many times he's a really good teacher. He has a lot of knowledge, right? Like, he he is the king. <laughs> he's the prophet. And so, of course, he knows what he's doing, and he, and he knows the way he's trying to steer his people, right? He wants them to consider some other options that we're going to learn about. And so, it makes sense that he would do that as, like, a teaching tactic, not, oh, hold on, I changed my mind, never mind type thing, because that's how I kind of perceived it at first. I was like, what are you doing, Mosiah? <laughs> But he didn't do that, y'all. He was a he was an inspired teacher and leader. And that was the purpose. So as as a leader, you always want your subordinates or those that you lead 
you want them to come to their own conclusion about what needs to happen even when you know what needs to happen correct and he did this is the perfect example of how he did it yeah it's like if you were to sit down and talk to your kid about something and you're like well what do you want well i i want a car or i want this or like whatever it is you know and then they say how they want to get it and you're like okay well let's let's consider this too right like you just present kind of like another option like well have you thought about what you're going to do to pay for that car you know are you going to just lean on us for gas the whole time? Like, what are you going to do, you know? I don't know. Maybe I should get a job, Mom. Yeah, maybe you should. You know, <laughs> they came up with that idea, not Mom. So. Yeah. But that's exactly what Mosiah does here with the kingdom. That's a perfect example. Because <laughs> imagine telling the kid, well, you need to get a job before you get a car. Oh, now you're the enemy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. Anyway. No. Keep going. Perfect. So that's what Mosiah is doing here, and um, he, he's such a he's such a noble king, and and a good king um, that he's not going to impose anything on the people, right? That's not the way he did it. It's not the way his dad did it, and right. so on. Yeah. So he he starts to explain after asking them to consider. Mm-hmm. what they want, which is to have a king. Um, he's like, listen, in verse 6, if um, if he to whom the kingdom doth rightly belong has declined, meaning Aaron, or, you know, my sons, um, what? let's say someone else is appointed in his stead. As a consequence there would be contentions uh, arising among the people. He says, And who knoweth but what my son, to whom the kingdom doth belong, should turn to be angry and draw away a part of this people after him, which would cause wars and contentions among you, which would be the cause of shedding much blood and perverting the ways of the Lord, yea, and destroy the souls of many people. Now, in the last chapter, the Lord just told him that Aaron and all of his sons were going to keep their covenants, <laughs> inherit eternal life, and be total studs. So <laughs> why would he say, like, hey, man, Aaron, he could come back and um, he, he could fight this decision. Or, or, you know, he could fight <laughs> the person that we appoint a king. He doesn't, I don't think he really believes that. He's he, using it as an example. He does say, I fear there would rise contentions right. on you. So it's just a fear he would have of, of having a king, right? Yeah, he, he, and he's using this as an example that could apply to anyone. Because maybe it doesn't happen in this generation, but it could happen in the next generation. Hey, somebody doesn't want the king, uh, the kingdom just like my sons don't, you decide to appoint another guy, and then the guy who didn't want it, now he wants it again, because he, you know, like, these these are the things that can happen. He brings up more points of his son. So in verse 8, he says, consider these things, what Kevin just explained. 
for we have no right to destroy my son, neither should we have any right to destroy another, if he should be appointed in his stead. So he says, we don't have a right to do that. And then he says, here's another situation. <laughs> and if my son should turn against his pride and vain things, and would recall the things which he has said, and claim his right to the kingdom, which would cause him and also much people to commit much sin. So he's saying, like, what if Aaron just completely flipped, right? And he is not righteous anymore, and he does, he goes back to his old ways and causes his people to commit sin. And we know that kings do have a responsibility for the sins of those people, like the accountability of those people. And so he says, well, what if Aaron, that's another fear. What if he comes back and flips it, and then what now? Yeah, <laughs> right? isn't, isn't it crazy that Mosiah is looking at it from the welfare of the soul of the person who would cause the iniquity. He's he's saying um, this this person, if they are in the king uh, the king's seat, and they cause people to do iniquity, they'll be destroyed. Mm-hmm. So he's worried about the iniquiter. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's a word iniquiter, <laughs> but the the iniquitous person. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it, just like I had mentioned earlier, he's saying, you know, maybe it doesn't happen in this generation, but it could happen in the next. In mm-hmm. verse 10, he says, and now let us be wise and look forward to these things and do that which will make for the peace of this people, like a now, long-term peace. I just want to point out that he just, in 28, we just he just got done translating records of like years of people and kings and rulers so I think he learned something there that he is trying to teach the people here. Let us look forward. Okay, consider what our actions will do now that we decide right now we'll do in the future. Mm-hmm. Let us weigh all our options. Smart guy, you know? Really smart guy. We need to learn from this. Just in our daily decisions, you know? And big decisions. So Anyway... Mosiah, in verse 11, he says, Listen, I'll be your king the remainder of my days. Nevertheless, let us appoint judges to judge this people according to our law, and we will newly arrange the affairs of this people. I mentioned that in the last chapter. This decision to newly arrange the affairs of the people. And and basically, he's saying... We're going to change our form of government. Mm-hmm. We're going to go from a monarchy to a democracy. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just these judges that are uh, in charge. He goes in to the details uh, that, you know, for we will appoint wise men to be judges that will judge this people according to the commandments of God. And it, it I guess it would... It's going to jump. We'd have to jump further. That's okay. But um, he talks about... um, Can I point out something really quick? Yes. So he brings up this idea of judges. And in 13, in the middle... Actually, kind of towards the end of the verse, he says... Actually, it's the middle of the verse. (laughs) He says, If you could have men for your kings... Who would do even as my father Benjamin did for this people? I say unto you, if this could always be the case, then it would be expedient that you should always have kings to rule over you. 
he's hinting at something here. Okay? He knows something. He's a seer. He's a prophet. He's a revelator. So he sees, he says, if this were the case, it would be expedient. Like, if you could always have someone like King Benjamin, you know, you wouldn't need judges. But you do. Because he sees ahead. And so the judges are going to, this newly formed democracy, is what it is, is going to set into place um, a lot of things that will roll out until Christ comes. Literally right. until Christ comes and appears to the Nephites and the Lamanites. So I just want to point that out because he knows there has to be a change in the setup. <laughs> in the gut, we'll just call it the government. <laughs> right. Because we can relate to that. He, he talks about, you know, he, he goes deeper into that. He talks about that, you know, he basically pulls the, um, the, Doctrine and Covenants quote that we know so much about. It's, it's you know, we've seen by sad experience mm-hmm. that when a man gets a little bit of authority, he takes it too far, right? That's that's the paraphrased version of that. But he, he talks about how, in verse 17, how much iniquity doth one wicked king cause to be committed? Yea, in what great destruction? Yea, remember King Noah his wickedness and his abominations and also the wickedness and abominations of his people. Um, you know, and so great were their iniquities that they were brought into bondage. Mm-hmm. He pulls an Alma here and says, remember that this is the, the only reason that they're not in bondage anymore is because of the grace of God. Mm-hmm. He says, and it if it were not for the interposition of their all-wise creator, um, this because of their sincere repentance, they must unavoidably remain in bondage until now. Uh, and he also, so one thing that Shelby and I talked about when we were preparing for this episode is that there's like so much and we we don't want to miss anything, but at the same time, there's also a little bit of repetition. So There's one more reason, though, in 21, as to why he doesn't want a king to be in place. Mm-hmm. I would say this is one of the last reasons he gives, and then he kind of starts repeating himself a little bit. But 21, he says, Now I say unto you that you cannot dethrone an iniquitous king, save it be through the much contention and the shedding of much blood. So there, there's another reason he doesn't want. Yeah. He's already given several that we've pointed out, but here's another one. Like, look at King Noah. You know, look at look at the people in the history of just their people, right? Um, they had contention. I mean, they went back three times or four times and lost people, you know, in, in battles because they were trying to get rid of a wicked king. Um, and so that's something, and, and he says... These wicked kings, if you're trying to dethrone them, he has friends, or as Kevin likes to call them, yes men. People who will support the king. Yeah, man, you know, I'll do what you want. Yes, yes, you're great, lovely. As long as I'm okay, <laughs> I'll do what you say, right? And so he has his friends and his guards round about him, and he can trampleth under his feet the commandments of God and make laws 
and just do all these things to make it hard on the people if he does become an iniquitous king. It, and it also talks about in that same verse, verse 22, he teareth up the laws of those who have reigned in righteousness before him. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how long of a succession, a line of succession of righteous kings, one bad apple can mm-hmm. undo all of it. All of it. Because unfortunately they, they're given the power. That's what a monarchy is. One person has the power. Right. And so he goes through more more detail of that. But he says in 24, Now behold, I say unto you, it is not expedient that such abomination should come upon you. Once again, he knows something, right? He's like, I know it's not expedient that this happens for you or should be the case for you. So then once again, he then reiterates this idea of judges by the voice of the people, right? So that's now we're in like verse 25. And and there is some repetition coming up, but we'll move forward. <laughs> so let's pick it up in, in verse 25. Okay. And I want to I want to parallel this with um, President Oaks' talk from this past conference. Mm. Um, Defending our divine divinely inspired constitution. constitution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just going to read verse 25 and probably 26 and maybe 27. Okay. Therefore, choose you by the voice of this people, judges that you may be judged according to the laws which have been given you by our fathers, which are correct, and which were given them by the hand of the Lord. And then I want to read from President Oak's talk. It says, I believe the United States Constitution contains at least five divinely inspired principles. I'm only going to read the first one, though, or the, the first principle that he, he talks about. First is the principle that the source of government power is the people in a time when sovereign power was universally assumed to come from the divine right of kings or from military power attributing sovereign power to the people was revolutionary this talking about at the time of the united states constitution apparently it was a revolutionary idea well back when mosiah did it yeah i guess it maybe we don't know how the people responded they obviously accepted it so maybe it wasn't as revolutionary as, as it was later in the... Or King I was just the guy to get it started for them to accept it so willingly. You know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. Okay. Just so he, a thought. He was just a stud. Yeah. Back to Mosiah. He's only a stud, though, because of the people before him, too, right? Like, they had built this trust, like his father yes. and then him and then... Anyway, but and, yeah. And because of the it Lord. It wasn't all just... Yes, it ultimately goes back to the Lord. <laughs> but anyway, keep going, Kip. In verse 26, Now it is not common that the voice of the people desires anything contrary to that which is right. That's interesting. He's saying that, like... Is, is Mosiah basically saying people are generally good? Mm-hmm. That they want good things well yeah and i think the perfect example is back in chapter 27 when they're having dissensions in the land it's a minority of the people who are trying to like go astray and get other people to go astray so he's saying right now at least it is not 
it's not a, I'm losing my words, whatever you just said, that most of the time people do choose the right, not the thing that's contrary that would be evil. Yeah. Um, nevertheless, it is common, he says, for the lesser part of the people to desire that which is not right. So basically what you said. Yeah. And I kind of see that today. Um, I really do. You know, I, I talk to you about this all the time, Sheldon. Mm-hmm. where in my day-to-day life and my work, where I work with the public, I mean, we all get along, um, you know, different mm-hmm. races, cultures, socioeconomic background. Like, I mean, we, the people who come into my work and the people that I work with, we believe all kinds of different things. We're not all mm-hmm. alike, but we, we... Uh, are peaceable, right? Very rarely does it get contentious up in there, right? Although you have had, you have had experiences where someone called in and did express some concern about something to you. So, yes. But that doesn't happen very often. But before I get I don't even know if I want to get into that. I, I don't know either, but I'm just saying you have had some, but, but the majority of the time your point is that you are uh, civil yeah, <laughs> with and, and that, human beings. <laughs> that situation is an example of a minority, mm-hmm. right? A, a lesser part of the people who they kind of want to stir something up. They want to stir the pot. Yes. Can I go off that? Sure. Can I? I kind of want to go on something for a second. So let's read 27. Do you have something to say about 26 that you had left? No. Okay, 27 says, And if the time comes that the voice of the people doth choose iniquity, then it is the time that the judgments of God will come upon you. Yea, then it is the time he will visit you with great destruction, even as hitherto visited the land. So he's saying... If there's ever a time where the lesser voice of the people becomes the the big voice, the majority, you got a problem. And you're going to have destruction. Now, Neil A. Maxwell, he's the man. We got a lot of men here, you know, but he's the <laughs> man. And he's, he talks about this. He says, uh, Elder Neil A. Maxwell the, of the Corinth 12 warned that when that we must not be indifferent to wickedness in society. Because destruction awaits nations that choose unrighteousness. And then this is a quote. Speaking behavior behaviorally, when what was once the lesser voice of the people becomes more dominant than the judgments of God and the consequences of foolish and selfishness follow. And then it references what we just read, actually. See Mosiah 29, 26-27. Cultural decline is accelerated when single interest segments of society become indifferent to general values once widely shared. Okay? So the drift, and it continues on, this drift is facilitated by the indifferent or the indulgent as society is led carefully down to hell. And then it references 2 Nephi 28-21. Some may not join in this drift, but instead they step aside, whereas once they might have been constrained, as is their representative right. So I brought that up because I also read another talk from Neil A. Maxwell where he said there's an inseparable connection between keeping of commandments and the well-being of society. 
And so we can learn a lot from verse 27 that when the, when the widely accepted values start to become the lesser part of the people, we got a problem, right? We have destruction awaiting us. And that's a big sign of, of a fall of a nation, right? Now, something I want to point out is that we know in the last days, we actually are going to be the lesser voice, the, the world and, and its media and all these things. They are not going to agree with the values that we hold. And it will look like we're about to be destroyed. But because we live in the fullness of times, that's when Christ will come and reign, which is pretty cool. So we have, it's really cool to live in the fullness of times because you have that promise. You know it can get bad, but you know it's not going to get so bad that you get destroyed, like obliterated, right? Right. So. Well, and, and these people at this time, they don't necessarily have that same, they have the promise that, if you keep the commandments, you'll prosper in the land. Right. And in as much as you do not keep the commandments, you'll be cut off. Right? Yeah. That same principle does extend to us in this day. It's just that we know that it will never come to the point that that like, all... Like a whole civilization wiped out. <laughs> Right, at least in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. That's here to stay mm-hmm. until the Lord returns, even if it is among a lesser, you know, a minority of people. Mm-hmm. Even if the greater part of the people are iniquitous, the church will still be intact. Um, <clears throat> I hope all that made sense. <laughs> yeah. He, he Mosiah also gives more practical... <clears throat> reasoning yeah reasoning or kind of like um, help to the people at this time in verse 28 he says if you have judges um, no, yeah if, if you have judges <laughs> that's interesting he says and now if you have judges because he's still teaching them he's still presenting this thing he's not saying like listen we're doing it <laughs> we're doing it and when this happens you do this um if they do not judge you according to the law, which has been given, you can cause that they may be judged of a higher judge. Mm-hmm. If your higher judges do not uh, judge righteous judgments, you shall cause that a small number of your lower judges should be gathered together and they shall judge your higher judges <laughs> according to the voice of the people. Mm-hmm. Right? And I command you to do these things in the fear of the Lord. And I command you to do these things and that ye have no king, that if these people commit sins and iniquities, they shall be answered upon their own head. So that's interesting. Now he comes back with, he's giving a commandment. Mm -hmm. He's saying, I command you to do these things, but in the fear of the Lord, not in the fear of me or of what I'm going to do or what my, my successor because I'm not going to have one, we'll do. He also says, I command you to do these things, um, and that if these people commit sins and iniquities, they shall be answered upon their own heads. So if a judge doesn't judge righteously, it'll be upon 
That judge. Yeah, that judge. You know what I call this? Checks and balances. <laughs> right. Yeah. 100%. There's, it's not a coincidence that he says higher judge. So there's just the middle judge. Then there's the higher judge and the smaller number of judges. It almost reminds me of the, the three branches of government. The executive, legislative, and judicial. Right? Checks yeah. and balances. Just throwing it out there. Not doctrine. Just saying. <laughs> don't don't think that's doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm just saying it reminds me of that. Fair enough. Yeah. So he does go into a little bit of repetition, but it's it's always to kind of unpack it a little bit more. So he says, you know, he remember, think about all the iniquity that's been caused by wicked kings. He says in verse 32, Now I desire that this inequality should be no more in this land, especially among this my people. But I desire that this land be a land of liberty, and every man may enjoy his rights and privileges alike, so long as the Lord sees fit that we may live and inherit the land. Yea, even as long as any of our, pros- our posterity remains on the face of the land. Um, and many more things. Did King Uzziah write unto them, unfolding unto them all the trials and troubles of a righteous king, <laughs> yea, all the travails of soul for their people, and also all the murmurings of the people to their king, and he explained it all unto them. <laughs> and I, I like that. He's, he's basically saying, like, man, this, this job ain't easy, right? Mm-hmm. These are all the things that, that I've had to put up with, and I believe myself a righteous king, mm-hmm. right? And I like that he says in 34, and he told them that these things ought not to be. He Like, he's said it so many times that he did, he did, it's not expedient for you to go through this. And we can prevent it by placing judges, right? And, um, and the burden should come upon yeah. all the people that every man might bear his part. So he, it's a democracy. It's the people. It's a democracy. <laughs> so you can't get mad. You know what I'm saying? You can't, like, I don't know. It it, it makes sense in my head. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. And then he, um, it also says he unfolded unto them all the disadvantages they labored under by having an unrighteous king. So I think this is where the repetition part came in that we were talking about a little bit. Yeah, I just, and, and when it talks about unfolded, I mean, in, in the heading, the chapter heading, it says that this takes place part like around one or two years and so you know i i don't know it may just just be about that time Hmm. but this was a process um and it was a it just it's kind of inspiring to think about a a leader or a king even having this kind of open discourse with his people and teaching them the better way of doing of doing this stuff. And they listen. They they say yeah. <laughs> it says in thirty eight, therefore they relinquished their desires for a king and became exceedingly anxious that every man should have an equal chance throughout all the land. And every man expressed a willingness to answer for his own sins. Hmm. So ultimately, also what he's doing is he's taking the responsibility of the sins off of just one person and putting it upon every man. 
and um, that's inspiring too. I mean, that he's setting up for agency to be held in this land. You know, act for yourselves. Um, and he, so, he's, yeah. you know, this system of government still gives them the the power to elect or appoint their own judges, judges, or you know, lesser rulers, right? And so um, they they do, they do that. They do that. <laughs> <laughs> they they cast in their voices concerning who should be their judges to judge them according to the law which had been given them. And they were exceedingly rejoiced because of the liberty which had been granted unto them. They wax strong in love toward Mosiah. Hmm. They esteem him more than any other man. For they did not look upon him as a tyrant who was seeking for gain. And This is why I think Mosiah was the guy to set this up. Right. It was that right there. They, they trust him. Yeah. Like, he, he even talks about earlier how he, he labored with his own hands. That's how it should be, right? Mosiah um, didn't appoint these judges. The people did, right. you know? Um, it repeats that in 42, throughout all the land. Because, also keep in mind, they have a big group. They have a big congregation now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's also probably another reason for this. As I think I said that earlier. Sorry, I think I should repeat it myself. But anyway. <laughs> so Alma is the first one appointed yeah he's the chief judge yeah um he's also the high priest mm-hmm. in the church which he's been for a while now but remember he's he's given the affairs of the church back in 28 i think or 27 oh so and so this is not alma the younger this is alma the elder Oh, is it? Oh, I thought it was Alma the Younger. Yeah, I thought so Alma too. Alma the at Younger first. was the one who had the affairs of the church. No, mm-hmm. he he's con. It says in verse twenty of Mosiah uh-huh. twenty-eight that the son of Alma had conferred um, upon him the interpreters and the records. I believe in verse forty-two of chapter twenty-nine. It says, and it came to pass that Alma was appointed to be the first chief judge, he being also the high priest. Um, Alma, the elder, is the high priest. Because remember, Mosiah was the... Here's here. I knew this earlier, that mm-hmm. I was going to be uncertain about this. Like, at, mm-hmm. as we started recording, I was, like, thinking about it. And I was like, do I, do I know? No, it's not Alma the Older. Mm, but like, where? Let me tell you it, why. Why I think that. 42, Alma, it says the first chief judge, whatever. Now sc- scroll or read down to 45 in it, or 44. Um, and thus commanded the reign of the judges throughout all the land of Zerhema among all the people who were called Nephites. And Alma was the first chief judge. Now it came to pass that his father died. So Alma died. Okay. Being 80 and 2 years old, having lived to fulfill the commandments of God. So it wouldn't make sense that Alma the older was the one placed if he turns around and dies a few verses later. Well... Right. I mean, people are elected to offices and they die in the office. But I do understand what you're saying. Well, I just, yeah, I don't know. Hey, if you're listening to us right now, reach out. 
tell us what what it is. I think it's Alma the Younger that's the first chief judge. Okay. And the high priest. So Because it, it even says his father having conferred the office upon him, meaning Alma the Older doing that. Okay. I think. I would be willing to lean towards that. Uh, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Good discussion, though. Nevertheless, I just gave it away, but he Alma does do, he walks in the ways of the Lord, and uh, his father dies, being 82 years old, and then Mosiah dies, being 63 years old. And that's that. That's how that ends. My last bit of input in this chapter, uh, or for this chapter, is that uh, before this point, they mark time by however many years since Lehi left Jerusalem. Hmm. Now the reign of the judges takes place or begins, and they will start tracking time as the first year of the reign of the judges, the second year. And so, and that leads up to the coming of Christ. So the only reason that I bring that up is that this was so significant of an event that they start measuring their time and recording their time uh, with this as a point of reference. reference. Yes. And that's just cool. I think that's really cool. It took 509 years from the time Lehi left Jerusalem for that to come to place. You know, and at first I was thinking, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, uh-huh. at first when you started to say that, I was like, well, Shelby, this is, that's kind of an arbitrary statement. Like, I, I like it didn't mean anything. <laughs> but then the Spirit reprimanded me and said, think about that same principle there or like not principle but think about that idea like time well yeah but with the restoration of the church Mm. like it took so long it took uh (laughs) 1830 years yeah um well more like about 1800 years yeah yeah for the lord's church to be restored on the earth and people could be like, oh, why did he wait that long? <laughs> this is another example of like, there's a lot of years in between there. Like, nobody could have got this rolling. <laughs> nobody could have switched. Because we know that the Israelites, they had a mm-hmm. system of judges mm-hmm. as opposed to kings. Yeah. So why couldn't they have figured it out? Well, it just wasn't expedient. Yeah. It wasn't the right time. Super true. I think... I think that would be my <clears throat> closing thoughts because we know we're getting closer to the Savior being born. He's going to be born in about a hundred, well, on earth, you know, born a hundred years from this time. And mm-hmm. then about 30-something years after that, he's going to come visit them. So we're getting closer to the Savior coming again, um, to the, to his people. So... The majority of that time was spent under kings. <laughs> and now the lesser part of that time will be spent with the reign of the judges. So, And we'll learn more about that in Alma. Yeah. 
and we're gonna be y'all we're gonna be in alma for a whole year i think we calculated it out because we just finished mosiah a whole year of alma but i'm so excited because if i just got this excited about mosiah and like all these like law things going on i'm so excited to dive into it with alma and yep. these wars and, and leaders going back and forth and things. I'm so pumped for I, Alma. I was just about to say that, like, this this change in government, it doesn't solve everything. Right. Right? It there, was just expedient that right. it be done. There's still going to be troubles, and, and we're going to see that immediately um, yeah. in in that. But, but I wanted to... Real quick, um, and I, I wouldn't have it brought up. And I know we're right there at the end, but I wanted to quote one last thing from President Oaks' talk. He says, God has given his children moral agency, the power to decide and to act. The most desirable condition for the exercise of that agency is maximum freedom for men and women to act according to their individual choices. So it is so expedient that the people in Zarahemla begin to start acting for themselves to have maximum freedom so that they can use their agency uh, correctly. To do good. To do good and to serve the Lord of their own volition and not be, not be, you know, kind of, not forced, but, but kind of like led along by a righteous king. In, just as important as they're not caused to do iniquity by a wicked king, you know, they need to start. This is the Lord preparing them mm-hmm. for the when, higher law. Yeah, for the higher law when and when He is coming and and yeah. So. Um, I could go on, but we've got a lot more episodes to come, so I can I can talk about those things then. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I, I I thought it was funny you mentioned like we're gonna be in there for a whole year. Um, I mean, sixty three chapters. Some of those chapters are dense. I'm gonna say a year and a half. Not a, I don't think we'll go. Well, you gotta a full consider though we're gonna we're gonna have a baby in the middle of that, so we're gonna be out of commission. For like a hot sec, just while we adjust to the baby. Yeah, sure. Like we're gonna be tired, so yeah, it's probably gonna be more like a year now. Yeah, I think I, I think <laughs> because, so. And we'll let you know when that time comes. Baby's not due till December fifth, so that won't be till the end of the year. But yeah. till then, we'll be in full operation unless one of us is sick. <laughs> Which does happen. Which has happened more in the last year than I think we expected, but it's okay. Anyway, um, super grateful for all that I've learned and taken away from the Book of Mosiah. I have a new appreciation for the Book of Mosiah. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I didn't appreciate it before, but man, there are some there's some gems in there. Oh yeah. Um, and well, that's it. That's that's it for me. That's all. I don't have anything else. I've said everything I wanted to say. All right. Well, have a great week, y'all. We will see you next time. Bye.